Defence Dialogue, a podcast discussing contemporary challenges in the area of European security and defence. Brought to you by the Martin Centre with Nicholas Novaki. Welcome everyone um, to the first episode of the Martin Centre's Defence Dialogue podcast uh, series of uh, 2021. Uh, my name is Dr. Nicholas Novaki. And uh, with me here uh, today, I have uh, my colleague, Alvaro uh, de la Cruz. Uh, welcome, Alvaro. Thank you, and Happy New Year. Uh, new Year, new tricks, and uh, we hope that all of you had a, a pleasant and a relaxing holiday, and, and you, your year has started in a rather pleasant way, like despite the ongoing struggles with the, uh, with the coronavirus that we're still facing. Um, in the defense field, I mean, this year has like brought in like new, new issues, uh, new developments, and there will be uh, many new questions that will we we will be discussed in this episode series uh, this year. And and but the issue that I wanted to focus uh, in on this first episode is the uh, new leadership in in uh, Washington DC DC, and more specifically uh, the the election and uh, of uh, Joe Biden. Who, uh, uh, whose inauguration took place on the 20th of, of uh, January, January and like who has uh, now started his uh, term in office. And uh, Trump's uh, um, defeat in the elections and Biden's victory like is something that was like very much like welcomed, obviously, throughout most parts of Europe, um, because most European countries saw that Biden will again bring a degree of normality into the transatlantic relationship, uh, into the relations between um, the European Union and the United States. I don't think many many European countries like ever got over the fact that uh, that Trump uh, at at one point also labeled the European Union as as a foe of the United States in the area of trade. So so having someone in the White House who's actively uh, speaking positively uh, of the European Union and, and its contribution to international multilateralism like is very welcomed um, uh, in, in Europe as well. And Biden is obviously a, a strong champion uh, of, of uh, the transatlantic relationship of NATO, of, uh, of a strong defense relationship um, within uh, with Europe. And, and this is obviously something that is very uh, warmly welcomed uh, by, by Europeans. And I think the agenda in front of um, Biden and his European allies, like, is is um, quite not daunting, but I mean, there are certainly a whole bunch of challenges that need to be addressed. I mean, now that uh, Trump has left office, I mean, beginning from the, the restoration of of unity, like within within the transatlantic relationship, like not not just like within NATO, but within the broader uh, transatlantic framework. And uh, as I said already, it's like the, the Trump years like, were rather like dramatic for, for I would say, most uh, European countries. Uh, there were certainly like some that like, benefited and, and, uh, and valued uh, the Trump administration in Europe. But, but for the most part, the traditional uh, European uh, uh, countries, the traditional leaders of the transatlantic relationship in Europe, such as France and Germany, they certainly saw uh, their relations uh, with with uh, Washington being downgraded a bit uh, under, under under Trump. So, like going forward, uh, 
Biden has promised that like he's going to focus on restoring the traditional alliances like with uh, with with the traditional uh, uh, European powers. Um, he has um, already like committed to to uh, uh, a strong uh, and vibrant NATO, which are all things that like Europeans obviously like love and cherish. But um, I think. Europeans like shouldn't be like too infatuated um, by by the new uh, Biden administration and like what they hear from him. Like they, what I mean by that is that they should also remember that like if Biden will, while while he will certainly speak in a different way, I mean he will also expect many things uh, from the Europeans. Um, starting from uh, defense spending, for example, I I think we will act absolutely. Uh, hear from the um, uh, the administration that like Europeans like need to continue to uh, do more to take care of their own security to uh, uh, make the transatlantic burden sharing a bit more equitable between the United States and and Europe and 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 so that like, Europe uh, wouldn't always have to rely on on the U.S. Uh, security guarantees like whenever uh, something happens and. Um, in, in addition to this, um, we'll, I, th- I think the, the agenda on also the EU side uh, might be a little bit challenging. Uh, we we hear, heard already uh, during the uh, confirmation hearings or during the uh, of um, the Secretary of Defense nominee Lloyd Austin that um, the United States will continue to. Be a little bit careful about some of the new like EU defense initiative, initiatives, such as permanent structured cooperation and the European Defense Fund, and would like there to be uh, like a fair access uh, to, to U.S. companies and the United States into these initiatives. So, like the, in, in that field, uh, we'll probably won't see a huge um, uh, change of policy, like compared to the Trump administration. Although there have been like some reports that the United States might uh, be considering uh, ac- actual participation in permanent structured cooperation. Uh, but still, I mean, I, I think it's very unlikely that there will be a huge uh, and dramatic change of policy when it comes to U.S. involvement in, in EU, EU defense initiatives. Other things, um, I think also the conference uh, for democracies that Biden has proposed um, like will, will, uh, will be something that Europeans like absolutely have to address and, and, and uh, show support um, for Biden, or at least the United States expects that like Europeans uh, will, will support this initiative. Um, and it will be interesting to see how different European countries like will um, react uh, to this initiative and, and like how they will approach it. Like so far, we haven't really heard like too much uh, from, from different European countries. From what we have heard uh, so far is rather mixed. Some are quite enthusiastic, some are less so. Um, and and um, it's very difficult to, to say at the moment like what uh, a common European approach towards the conference uh, might be. But again, I think this is an, a worthy initiative that um, um, Europeans like should uh, show uh, support uh, for Biden uh, as, as a goodwill uh, demonstration towards the new administration. And then perhaps lastly, like just to, before I finish like these opening remarks, uh, the issue of China. Um, like if, if, uh, if you listen to like some of the confirmation hearings, for example, the confirma- in the confirmation hearing of uh, 
Secretary of Defense uh, Lloyd Austin, the issue of China was brought up uh, very, very much uh, quite often. And I think it's, it's clear that like China will be one of those issues that like will occupy this administration as well, uh, like um, much more than uh, say Russia. And um, th this is, um, uh, can be a, bit, a little bit challenging for Europe uh, because like Europeans like usually tend to approach uh, the issue of China a little bit differently from the United States. So Europeans have been a little bit less hawkish like on, on China compared to the United States, uh, chosen to emphasize that like China is both a systemic rival and, uh, and, 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 uh, and a partner in, in trade and economics. But, but given, given how um, the new administration is, is is, is continuing the previous Trump administration's um, a rather hawkish line on China. I think uh, the United States will expect uh, uh, more uh, from its European allies uh, when it comes to addressing the challenge of China, also in the context of NATO. And, and here again, like, I mean, it, it would be great if Europeans had a little bit more uh, an effective uh, common strategy. So I'll leave it there. And, and now we'll jump into the, uh, to the, to the dialogue. Great. Uh, thank you, Nicholas. It was, it was um, a great topic indeed for this, uh, especially this week, uh, after a few days of the inauguration of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Um, so the first question, it's a pretty obvious one, but it's, it needs to be, to be addressed. Is Biden election going to kill EU's strategic autonomy? Do you think President Macron will be able to reboost or continue uh, pushing for these, um, not only military, but uh, uh, in, on other fields also, uh, European independence and, and, and autonomy from, from the Americans. What do you foresee for 2021, 2022, or the face, at least the two first years of the Biden's mandate? No, I don't think, I mean, the election of Biden, like, will, 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 will uh, kill off the strategic autonomy agenda at all. Um, I think it's important to remember that the strategic autonomy agenda in defense is something that like predates like Trump, uh, predates like Trump's election in, in 2016 uh, quite a bit. I mean, the first time it appeared in EU Council conclusions, uh, the, the, the ambition of strategic autonomy like is, is from 2013, if I remember correctly. And then it was major, like introduced in a major way in the 2016 EU global strategy that was published in, in, in June of that year, which which was a time in which uh, like nobody seriously thought that like Trump would become president in, in, in November. Um, Trump certainly accelerated like some of that, uh, I would say, uh, but he wasn't wasn't the cause of it, and 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 Biden um, like will not take take that uh, drive away either. I think like the the main reason is that Europe, like Europe has like realized that it, it needs to be able to do more uh, by itself. Um, it, it needs to be able to take care of its own security better, and and it needs to become an effective like international actor. And um, things like the coronavirus pandemic. I mean, the initial difficulties when it came uh, in the area of security of supply. Uh, of, of uh, masks, ventilators, and, and, and uh, now the uh, challenges we're seeing in the distribution of the vaccine, like, I mean, all uh, underscore the importance of, of uh, autonomous uh, 
European Union or strategic autonomy. But, but the key thing is that the strategic autonomy agenda is no longer like just about defense. I mean, in 2013, 2016, I mean, it was really a defense concept. But now, nowadays, like, I mean, we're hearing about like open strategic autonomy in, in, in trade. We're hear, hearing about like strategic autonomy in the uh, digital sphere and in the technological sphere. And, and it, it has become to characterize like almost every aspect of EU policy uh, to the extent that like almost everything the EU is doing uh, these days is about strategic autonomy. Um, and I think it's, this is fine, but I think the, the key challenge um, for, for Brussels will be to kind of pursue the strategic autonomy agenda in a way that... Um, doesn't make it seem that like this, the, the, the main reason like for this is to pursue autonomy from the United States. Like this is not the, 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 the case at all. I mean, uh, Europe needs to become more effective and responsible international actor uh, uh, so that it can handle its own uh, challenges and like be a more uh, effective manager of crisis in its own immediate neighborhood not because of uh, the United States. And I would say that the United States like, has even been an en enabler of the EU's uh, strategic autonomy like, rather than an impediment for it. And I think that's really important to underscore. Taking into consideration that the UK uh, just officially uh, completely left the EU, that they're not apparently willing to collaborate that much for now uh, on the defense level, level. Um, that also Germany's leadership is yet to be uh, seen whether they keep a strong role or not after Merkel's uh, um, uh, departure. From whom in Europe, besides France, could we expect some some leadership, some some call to action that for the rest of the for the member states? Are we going into a different scenario in which? smaller countries such as Ireland because of the privileged uh, position now towards the United States or the Baltics because of their um, necessity to, to, to uh, invest more time, effort and money into defense is, um, is required. Are we going towards a, a, a multilateral defense scheme rather than a strong leadership by, by big uh, uh, European countries? What, what do you think? Well, I think the, 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 the role of the big um, European countries, the traditional powers like France and Germany, like will be absolutely like key going forward um, as well. And, and uh, not just because like Biden has uh, uh, emphasized that like he wants to restore uh, the, 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 the US like relations like with, with these powers. And, and uh, we, we saw like, I think yesterday or the day before that like uh, Biden released um, um, like some uh, small notes from the course that like he had with Chancellor uh, Merkel and, and, and President Macron and, and uh, like they're already working on, on um, like trying to like rebuild uh, these relations. But in, in addition to that, I mean, obviously the Eastern uh, European um, countries and, and, and Poland uh, could uh, as, as well, I mean, could play a, a role when it comes, uh, an important role, like when it comes to uh, highlighting the, uh, the, the challenge of Russia. I mean, this is uh, an issue that uh, like the Baltic states, uh, Poland and, and, and others have usually uh, championed like very strongly in Washington and in the context of NATO. Also, the, um, uh, the, the Nordics, uh, even though they're not in, in uh, like Sweden and Finland, 
uh, not in NATO, but uh, Norway and, and Denmark are like collectively, like they can um, champion uh, greater focus to the uh, to the Arctic region, for example. So I think uh, smaller countries, I mean, can have um, a good amount of influence, but I mean, this usually um, depends on like them working together. Ireland is a little bit special case because they have such a strong cultural link uh, to the United States. So, I mean, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see, I mean, how the um, Irish Irish kind of uh, uh, link uh, to the United States, I mean, will 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 uh, uh, affect um, or allow them to um, uh, shape policies, or how the you know, the Americans uh, under Biden like will engage Ireland and Brexit. Probably it's a little bit more subjective because of my my Spanish uh, uh, conscience, but uh, transatlantic relations have always been very focused on Europe. U.S. Uh, alliance, but uh, we should we should remind that uh, transatlantic relations also involve a good list of um, South American, Latin American countries that uh, were a little bit out of the equation also because of Trump's um, policy towards the south of, of the continent. Do you think Biden's election is an opportunity to relaunch uh, the also military collaboration, uh, military collaboration with uh, some uh, Latin American states? Uh, uh, for Europe too. Well, it's it's um, absolutely true that I mean the transatlantic relationship is broader than uh, than just uh, the United States and Europe, and, and we have Canada in the north uh, as well. Um, it's an interesting question. I'm not sure like what the Biden administration's like plans uh, for, for for Latin America are, but I mean I think it would certainly be good that I mean while there is is this drive to. Um, um, uh, like rebuild the, the relationship between Europe and the United States, that uh, Europe could would perhaps could also like develop new ways of engaging like Latin America, um, uh, like alone, uh, but then also like in in, in a cooperation with the United States. Um, I, I think that that, that would be uh, hugely uh, beneficial for both sides. Beyond the, the of course the the, the most obvious uh, topics that are on the international board now that the Biden administration is expected to to take care of once again, like, uh, for example, uh, Iran or even North Korea, even if uh, Trump's efforts were, let's say, let's say uh, enormous. Um, there's probably one more immediate and more urgent for Europe uh, issue uh, that uh, that we should discuss about uh, Turkey and their membership to NATO and how Biden's administration could uh, evolve towards their membership, their their influence by, by Putin. Um, we know that they they're trying to negotiate uh, some some uh, uh, relaunch of their relations with Greece. Uh, what do you think uh, Europe could do to ensure that they don't fall into Putin's uh, sphere of uh, control? Good question. Um... I think Europe has, or the European Union, like has pursued quite a like a strong, uh, unified uh, position to 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 uh, what what it perceives as uh, like to, like Turkey's uh, like provocative uh, behavior in the Eastern uh, Mediterranean. So I think in, in that area, I mean the the, the Europe, like Europe's position is all, already um, quite quite good. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean how. What Turkey also thinks of the, this um, proposed uh, conference 
for, for, for democracies that like uh, Biden has, uh, has been talking and, and, and that the administration is seeking to launch this year. Um, and, and like how, um, by, how the administration uh, will, will engage countries that have done some like backsliding when it comes to like these uh, core, what, what it considers as like core uh, democratic values and principles like in the past years. Um, but when, when it comes to Turkey's NATO, mem- NATO membership, though, I mean, I, I think it's, it's then we enter a little bit problematic area. Like if we start to um, discuss about the, potential, the, the potentiality of excluding like some members uh, from the alliance based on like their domestic political developments. I, uh, like I, I don't think it would set a good precedent like if, 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 if uh, for transatlantic uh, unity and, and the credibility of like NATO's deterrence if a country like would be uh, kicked out of the alliance like even though I mean it has done some democratic backsliding. Uh, I, I think these, these are issues that are much better to discussed and solve like in the framework of the alliance like than uh, outside of it. And in this this sense, like I really welcome the uh, uh, NATO um, uh, 2030 report that the um, that was published at the end of uh, last year, and that also like uh, called for more slightly more political role for NATO, called for more uh, consultations to take place um, within the alliance. Also, when it comes to the respect of uh, fundamental values and principles of most members of the alliance, uh, sure. We all hope for that. It's indeed a an interesting year and uh, a lot of uh, interesting things to come. Probably we'll discuss them more in deep, in depth in, in this series. Either way, the only conclusion I have is that it feels so good to have uh, the U.S. back uh, our in our side. And and thank you very much for for having me once again. Likewise, and let's hope that uh, um, like Europe uh, uses this opportunity to the best of its abilities. Cheers. That was today's episode of Defence Dialogue. Subscribe to our podcasts for more.